Welcome to another exciting episode of the A Dosage of Lindsay podcast. I am your host, Lindsay May. Welcome back, everyone. It's Wellness Wednesday. In today's session, we are amplifying the voices of Black male therapists. Did you know less than 12% of all professional counselors are African-American and less than that are Black men? I have invited my friend and colleague James, a mental health clinician and therapist, to share his journey into the profession, how he is reducing the stigma and breaking barriers for minorities to access quality mental health resources, and his perspective on embracing wellness. Let's get into it. Welcome, 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 James. It is so good to have you here. It's been a while. Um, We haven't talked in a bit, but I'm so glad that we were able to connect and you agreed to be a part of this podcast. How is it going? Everything's going good, Lindsay. Thank you for having me. Uh, It's good to be here. I'm glad to be in this space with you. And it's a pleasure. Yes, the pleasure is all mine. I mean, we went through the trenches together. So I said that I need to call upon my people who were in the trenches to help support me as I continue this work in this wellness podcast. So I'm grateful for your contribution today. And I'm sure that the listeners will be like super honored and pleased that listen to all the wisdom that you're going to share with them today. Thank you. Yes. Uh, I remember first meeting you in my, my first class I had, and you came up and spoke to me about the program. And it was probably, it was very nice to have someone come up and just be so open. And at a time to where I was kind of uh, just starting out, and I really appreciate having that support from you um, throughout my time at Barry. Absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, I feel like we're in a helping profession together. And, um, you know, my intention is always to build a strong support and a network. And that is my always my intention, you know, just so that we can all connect. Um, because I know that through our, our time there, like we've had to lean on each other as peers, like, yo, what's that assignment? Or, hey, did you catch that note? Or, Like, you know, what's coming up so that, you know, life is hectic outside of school. So it's always good to have that support for each and every one of us. Just finished not too long ago our program. And, you know, it was one of those programs that was bittersweet because we started it in person in a traditional setting where we would show up to campus um, once or twice, sometimes for some of us three times a week. And we had to transition into this online space. So I've talked to many of our peers and classmates where life has changed for us. Um, Like, how are you navigating life after completing a master's? Many start, few finish, but how are you navigating after you have accomplished um, this big accomplishment to finish your master's? Great question. Um, I feel that it was very beneficial to kind of switch we're doing COVID to kind of switch to that hybrid program that we had and then eventually having the option to go in person or go remote straight remote so I think it helped navigate kind of how the future is looking uh, for mental health 
especially now with a lot of virtual uh, businesses out here that are getting their clientele due, due to COVID and being able to provide additional mental health support without having to leave your home and being able to look on your device. So I think Barry has prepared me very well for that. Um, currently, I'm, I've been navigating and in the process of finding a, a counseling home for me. Uh, currently doing a lot of uh, mental health work as a care counselor at Cerebral. Um, it's where I think it's a great, great idea, a great, great plan. But one big thing is for me is focusing more on counseling in the realm of either outpatient psychiatry or uh, private practice and kind of playing in a role like that. I'm currently in the process of uh, looking for a place where I can work with children, adolescents, individuals, adults, and families. And I've actually found a few places uh, where I'm able to provide that work and have the option to do it in person or remote. So that's very, that's been very beneficial. Right. And now right. it's just pretty much nav- navigating the space. Well, that's amazing, James. I mean, that's one thing about being a clinician where the opportunities, it seems like it's endless. And, you know, there are so many populations to work with. Um, working with children, I mean, that's admirable because, you know, I feel like as a kid, you know, I could have used a therapist to help me navigate through certain situations and for me to become more aware and to develop my emotional intelligence. And, you know, gratefully, I've learned how to explore that through my own journey through therapy and, you know, just the God-given wisdom of how to navigate through those spaces. So to hear that you want to invest your time in working with a younger population. Um, I think that's amazing. Um, that is, that is so, so amazing. So what's it like, um, as you talk about that you're preparing to work as a private practice or maybe outpatient, maybe in the specialization of psychiatric medicine, um, you know, tell me your perspectives of, what it's like working as a minority, and I'll be even more specific, um, a black male that works in the mental health realm. Um, I know that minorities are, it's growing, um, but I'm sure you have your own stories and perspectives of how you've navigated these spaces from your point of view. What's it been like? I kind of had a awareness of the lack of support for uh, black community or black men in mental health. Uh, since I started the program at Barry, it's something that really opened my eyes to the need of having someone that looks like myself um, being able to re- represent and also provide uh, mental health awareness to uh, this community. Um, black men are not only affected by the general barriers um, in the medical world, but even the community faces internalized like behaviors that fit with social constructs. But there's three things that kind of stick out or have stuck out to me um, about mental health uh, with black men. And that is uh, culture, uh, resources, and trust. Um, The first trust uh, culture, which is expectations of black masculinity um, in this world is to be strong and stoic 
ultimately impacts uh, the ability to seek and help um, suspected mental health issues. A lot of black men won't seek support uh, for, for that reason alone. Second, um, resources. Yes. What were you going to say? No, no, no. It's interesting that you say that. Like, go on. I'm interested to what you have to say about resources and trust. Yeah, so resources, um, just the the access to resources culturally um, for Black men is minimal, um, alongside a lack of access to good services. So if you have... uh, trouble getting uh, or trouble with transportation or maybe your location, there's fewer services, health insurance issues. So a lot of these play a big factor in getting the appropriate support and services that you need um, to seek effective treatment. And uh, last, um, trust. So there's a collective mistrust, obviously, of healthcare and medical providers uh, with the abuse of Black, black patients in history yeah. and experiencing this, these treatments kind of for medical advancement. It's lowered the, the trust for the black community, also black males in general. Absolutely. And sometimes this trust can happen within society, but what I've seen as you know a black woman coming from a black home is that there are a lot of stigmas associated with accessing the resources of mental health. Um, there's a lot of gaps. Um, maybe the gap is financial. Um, maybe it's the literacy. Um, the institution doesn't know how to communicate the resource to the end user or to their constituents so that they don't know how to get into it and know that it's readily available. Um, and, you know, a part of me just wishes that, you know, everyone. You know, as a clinician, I think all of us say this, everyone should have a therapist, <laughs> you know, no matter how, how emotionally intelligent you may perceive yourself to be or not. I feel like everyone could use someone to, you know, walk alongside them in life to support them in an unbiased, compassionate and non-judgmental way. And the reason why I say that is it goes back to your point of, you know, within the culture, you know, there's some things that, you know, people aren't culturally aware that may be a custom within maybe African-American culture and they're judged. Um, You know, there are a lot of stereotypes that are out there, microaggressions that are used. um, And I'll say one personally, um, and this used to make me cringe. Um, I'll say two. It's when I walk around someone of a different culture or background and I've been, you know, subject to people clenching their purses. And I'm like, wait a second, like, why are you clenching your purse? I'm just trying to go into the same store, just very absent minded of what's happening. But that just stills me in that moment to see that someone would think that, you know, I'm coming to, you know, apprehend them in some way. And I'm like, I'm just trying to get what I need to get go about my day and then secondly I've had people in stores to say um excuse me ma'am um do you work here where can I find such and such and you know I think to myself you know you can have all the education you can look and 
have this perception that you are quote unquote well off or, you know, whatever have you, but it still doesn't change sometimes the perception of how people are view you based upon the color of your skin and what kind of assumptions and pre suppositions they put upon you, depending on where you're from. Um, so I thought I'd just share that as you stated, you know, those three things that sometimes are barriers for Black men to receive treatment. Uh, yeah, so Lindsay, I'm glad you uh, brought that up and mentioned that about the microaggressions. One thing that kind of stood out to me growing up um, in a predominantly Caucasian area was they would say, I don't sound Black. Mm. And growing up, I didn't really realize what that, like, I didn't know how to navigate around that. And I would internalize that. But then after growing up and realizing that that was a microaggression mm. and thinking that everyone of color is supposed to talk a certain way, or if you don't talk a certain way, you're not black enough or mm. something like that. So I thought that was very interesting being educated on that to where now I look at it and I just uh, look back and laugh. But right. at that time growing up, it, it could, if I didn't have the support I did, I don't know where that could have led me. Um, so having that awareness that there are people of color out here that do go through those things. Um, and sometimes even unconsciously because the kids were, they were kids doing it. So right. like, you, I can't blame the kids. Right. So uh, I think that's very interesting with the microaggressions. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. And, you know, it wasn't until I started to do the work where I was more informed about what these terms were, were, and these situations were as well. And it helped me to want to be a part of the solution, you know, because I can sit back all day and say, man, you know, I'm so upset that this woman, you know, clenched her purse or locked her car as I was walking by. Um, Or, you know, as I'm in the store, you know, someone would approach me and say, hey, ma'am, do you know where I can find this item? But then I look around and see there are many other people um, and, you know, who are around me who they don't look like me, but you could have approached them. But because I look this way, um, there's this, you know, assumption that I may fit this role in this particular moment. Um, and, and, you know, oftentimes you can get upset and, you know, you can get angry, but, it, you know, what will that change? It can continue to perpetuate a cycle and a narrative that may not necessarily be true. I can just be human in my response, but someone could use that and just make it a general statement that, man, this is an angry Black woman. Um, and then that cycle continues to perpetuate. And in my mind, I'm saying, well, no, I don't want that to be perpetuated. I want to help to educate people and saying, all right, you know, how can I make you more you know, not just competent, but more aware of how you may use these microaggressions and how it affects people. So that was my motivation for one of my motivations, I should say, for pursuing my clinical degree. But, you know, what was your motivation for pursuing a master of science, um, you know, and pursuing a, a clinical mental health background, as well as a marriage and family, like you have two disciplines. Um, what was your motivation? And also, what do you think you can, you can contribute to the field? 
thing I wanted to do um, that got me in psychology was to really give back to children um, and families. But for the mental health field and where I could go with it and to give back, I feel like it's endless. But right now for the next one to three years, my main focus focus is to grow as a clinician, to continue to grow um, so I can provide the best care to my clients. But second would be to increase awareness in the Black community by providing additional support and mental health awareness. I would love to start a weekend barbershop kind of group therapy for black for black men and even children like separate that up but do something like that to kind of increase the awareness you can come talk about some mental health things like microaggressions and just some psychoeducation on mental health as well as <laughs> come and get your haircut um but that would be an extra incentive to uh to have third would probably be continuing uh to advocate for mental health and providing additional support for the ADHD population. That's amazing, James. Um, I want to circle back to what you said about going into the barbershops and just doing a group therapy initiative. I think that's like innovative um, simply because, you know, that's a, it's a, it's a community and a cluster of, of men and women that, you know, I think that conversation, that barbershop talk is very therapeutic. Um, I had a, a low cut for some of my adult life. So I've had to go to many barbershops for them to, you know, cut my hair when I had my low cut. And, you know, I would always be amazed at the level of conversation and how it would range. Um, they would talk anywhere from sports to politics to religion to movies, um, you name it. But, you know, just sitting in that chair for about, what, 15, sometimes 20, maybe 30 minutes, um, depending on who's cutting your hair, even an hour, um, and just listening to that exchange of, you know, wisdom and thought, like, you know, resilience, all of that in the same space, um, that's a form of group therapy. Um, and it's like, it's so organic on how it happens. And you can always leave like, you know, not only with a nice haircut, but it's like a soul cleansing where your soul is like restored or you're getting more perspective. Is that your intention with the barbershop initiative? Yes, it is. It's going in, being able to provide that additional support that they might need, like you said, leaving with the cut, but also being able to know that other people are going, might be going through similar situations. And I'm trying to learn more so I can learn how to navigate a space for a group therapy setting. So obviously you do have the confidentiality. So it would be on a day to where the barbershop would be closed and it would be specifically for coming in, getting your haircut, as well as talking about or listening. Um, you can share if you want, or you can just uh, listen. So it wouldn't be like a typical day at the barber, but it would be mm. a set day where barbers are off. I know a few barbers, I'd get them in, provide them the fees. People would get their hair cut and have a good time and talk about uh, mental health and kind of just increase that awareness in the community. Right, I like that. Um, 
I like that concept of not your typical day at the barber. And I can even flip it to going to the salon. So, you know, the beautiful thing about, um, you know, being a woman is that you have, you know, a salon that you can go to. Um, and it's the similar concept to going to the barber for, you know, for whoever, whoever goes to patronize a barbershop. But the idea is, you know, the same conversations happen, you know, whether you're talking about relationships or motherhood or fatherhood or whatever the case may be, um, you know, once you close that space down to say, we're not going to do business as usual, but the business that we're intending to do is like soul business because in passing, I think we've survived a lot as a people um, that we were able to use church. Church was a good outlet for our ancestors singing. Like History Month is known for, you know, bringing out the Negro spirituals. And one of my favorite songs is Lift Every Voice and Sing. I don't know, something just comes into my spirit when that song is sung, um, just because it, it just it paints a story of a collective of people that have overcome maybe a trial and that is hopeful for what life has to bring. And I know it has a lot more history than just that, you know, that one liner, but you know, the barbershop, the salon idea, it's the same concept of what church has been for, you know, the black community um, because, you know, I did some research a couple of weeks ago and, and as I was researching, I learned that, you know, the black community, um, the black churches were essentially like a hospital for the hurting people to come and to get refuge when they were experiencing like racism and, you know, they were experienced discri experiencing discrimination. They would turn to their churches as places where they would administer admin, um, information so that they can take it back to their home so people can be informed about how to live life and how to protect themselves and to stay safe. Um, so what you're doing is pretty remarkable, James. Thank you. I really love uh, the term soul business. I, I like that. <laughs> hey, you can have it. Um, I think I got enough on <laughs> my plate. Um, so I'm not even trying to coin that. So if you want to go off and <laughs> to coin that thing, you know, I'm here to support you to make it happen. Um, just to see you get that vision and get it off the ground would be amazing. Um, because I feel like there's more, you know, walls to be broken, um, between mental health and mental wellness and just people being whole. Um, you know, many people are dealing with a lot, you know, we talk about a lot of people have lost jobs during the pandemic, a lot of people are experiencing a lot of grief and loss. Um, and some days it's hard to bear that alone. So to know that I can go to a safe space outside of work, outside of me just getting my hair cut or, or outside of my routine, and just to check in with my folk. I can come and just sit there and to embrace this moment and people don't realize like, you know, therapy is in the conversation. It's in the story. It's in the community. 
And, you know, I hope that many more people will embrace this idea that I think they arrive at therapy wanting to get a quick fix. I think that's been the concept. Like, oh, if I go to therapy, I sit before this therapist, immediately my problems should be erased. And I'm like, it doesn't work like that. Although I advocate everyone should have a therapist, therapy is a journey. Um, and, you know, it's a, there's a starting point. And obviously there's an ending point, but, you know, we make the journey what it is, you know, whatever we give to the journey is what we get back. If we don't give, it's not going to be reciprocated. So that's how I like to see it. It's, you know, checking in and going the distance to embrace that authentic living. Couldn't agree more. So as we're talking about, you know, just um, some of the things and contributions that you would like to make in the field, um, as you know, I'm on this campaign um, in my life's work as I am just turning the chapter to what I believe is my call is to help people to embrace wellness in their everyday life. Um, How do you plan to embrace wellness? Because we're helping professionals and one thing that we are skilled at doing is helping people. (laughs) I think we'll help people, you know, to kingdom come, right? But oftentimes we help so much where we're giving out of cisterns that need to be replenished. Um, And that's what I've learned in my own, in my own life, in my own um, career So how do you plan to embrace wellness um, this year, James, in your own, in your own life? Very fortunate to have finished my program in counseling and learned so much on self-care and mindfulness. So for 2022, I plan to embrace wellness by engaging in things that I enjoy, which are family, uh, things for myself and my relationships. So I want to continue finding, creating, and maintaining a healthy balance of those three. So whether it's family time, spending time with them, laughing, playing with my kids and my uh, partner, crying, traveling, or even teaching. Um, for myself, it's going to the gym, reading, reading a book, taking that time to read a book, meditate, um, getting a massage, Um, And for relationships, it's connecting with new people, meeting new people, listening to others, helping others grow. And I think if I can keep a healthy balance of all three of those for 2002, I think I'll have a good uh, sense of wellness and and well-being for myself to move forward. I think that's something amazing to strive for, um, you know, just to have your family, um, you know, as a support. And, you know, you're fortunate to have a growing family. I know that, you know, you just had a little one not too long ago. So you're growing in your family. So it's important to make time, you know, because as I said earlier, it's easy to clock in hours and to sit with clients and to let them just pour in and to just deposit their suffering Um, But then on the other side of it, it's, you know, how do we recharge so that we can continuously be available 
to our, you know, clients, to our community so that we can help support them. And it's through self-care, you know, it's through whether your self-care is taking the time out to read a book to your little ones or having a movie night or whatever you do, a date night with your partner, you know, all of that stuff matters. And, and what does self-care look like on like, on a day to day with, with you? Is that, is it something that you plan and say, I take it in a vacation or is it something that you try to do every day? I'd say a little bit of both for me. Something that I've started to incorporate in my daily is getting up five in the morning, work, going, working out, going to the gym. And I realized running really helps with me. But also while I'm working, setting appropriate breaks throughout the day, take a time to get up, stretch, walk around, even something as little as eat. Um, that's very important because sometimes I get kind of overwhelmed and caught up in work to where in the past I was forgetting to have lunch. Um, and then also, yes, vacations, taking time away for the family before I can put the phone down for a week and uh, kind of re reduce that stress and anxiety for a week to uh, get right back into it the next week. <laughs> I'm glad you said that. Like, you know, every day is an opportunity for self-care. And it doesn't mean that we have to wait to get that. You know, I like going to Disney World. There was a point in my life where I was an annual pass holder at Disney World and I would be there. I would say, I hate to even report this, but at least three to four times a week. I hate to report it, but that was just life at the time. Um, but for me, like, you know, that was where I was at in the season of my life. But some people, they have to wait a whole year just to plan that Disney trip. Whereas Disney was right in my backyard and I had a chance to tap into it. So I, at times self-care can look like you can cash in and say, okay, I'm doing a yearly vacation, but there are opportunities still. There's seven days a week. One day is I hope where we rest. And then outside of that, you know, we partake in a daily practice of whether it's like you waking up at five in the morning. I don't know if my listeners are daring enough to do that, but it's rewarding, right? To, to do that workout or reading or meditating or praying or listening to some music or whatever the case may be. And you can do little by little every day until it becomes a habit, until it becomes a practice. So thank you so much, James, for sharing your experience and how you're embracing it. And I wish you well on your journey as 2022 has so many opportunities to be the best version of yourself. So thank you. Lindsay, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. I'm glad to be here with you in this space. And I would love to do this again in the future. Of course, of course. You know, I have you down for future episodes. You have so much perspective. I feel like and I always say this, we're just scratching the surface. Um, I have people that I want to share the world with. And you're one of those people because I believe you bring so much like, you know, energy, you bring so much perspective um, and bring so much wisdom. Like, you know, so I always appreciate our conversations and and what you bring to the table. Um, at this time, James, I wanted to shift some gears and I wanted to go into the give and go with Lindsay. And as you know, listeners, you know this as well, that 
this is an opportunity for you to get to know not only James as a clinician or the aspiring um, group therapist that's going to make a life-changing experience for people at barbershops across the United States and more, but I want you to just get to know James as a human being. So Give and Go with Lindsay helps our listeners to get to, to know you more. And it's just five questions, as I told you. Um, it's not any gotcha questions. I'm not here to put you in a bind or stump you or anything like that. Um, but it's just, you know, the flow of life and the flow of our conversation and allowing us to get to know you in an authentic way. You ready, James? Yeah, I'm ready. Absolutely. Awesome. Awesome. So the first question is, if you can live in one city for the rest of your life, where would you live? Question. Um, Diego. Ooh, San Diego. That's a nice city. Actually, I'll pick San Diego. That's what's up. San Diego is a nice city and it's a fun city. It's on the coast with some beaches. I'm a little jealous you didn't say Miami, but it's all good. We still love you down here. <laughs> um, my next question for you, James. I always ask this question. I'm always curious. Um, what is a book? What's one book that you're reading? One book I'm reading is The Compound Effect. Hmm. What's that about? It's about making daily changes in your life to make catastrophic change. It's by Darren Hardy. And it's uh, very, very motivating, um, but it, it shows you how to and teaches you how to create change in your life by, comp by the compound effect, which is little small steps in whatever direction you might want to take to uh, have catastrophic change. That sounds like a powerful book, James. Yes, I recommend it to, it's a great read. I recommend it to everybody. Thank you so much. Um, here's another question. Not sure if you're into sports, but as you know, we are in the NFL playoffs. Who do you think will be the Super Bowl champ in 2022? Well, my Ravens are out of it. <laughs> so I'm going to have to go with the, the Buccaneers. The Buccaneers. You think they're going to do a repeat? Yes, I think they can. Yeah, they have the potential. And Tom Brady, um, he is one of a kind. Can't go against the GOAT. <laughs> you can't go against the GOAT. Um, what is your favorite restaurant down here in South Florida? That's a good question. Dada in Dory Beach. Hmm. Or Dada. I need to try that place. Yes, it's French. It's really good. I recommend that. Um, to anyone that likes a good mojito. And crab cakes. Mm. I definitely have to check out their menu. You're ranting and raving about it. Last question. Finish the statement. Today, I am grateful for. Support system and my family. And God. 
support system, family and God. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. James, again, thank you so much. I really appreciate you for coming through. I wish you well the rest of this year. And I hope that you walk into all good things and many blessings. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Absolutely. The pleasure's all mine. Until next time, everybody. Ciao. guys thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the a dosage of Lindsay podcast home to conversations of the soul i hope you enjoyed our time together drop your comments and feedback in the comment box below or send me an email to share your thoughts and your honest reactions remember rate subscribe and share this podcast and make sure you follow me on social media twitter and Instagram at a dosage of Lindsay. If you want to email me, it's a dosage of Lindsay at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Ciao.